Welcome to Halftone, a podcast from the Fabric Workshop and Museum. This pilot season is presented in partnership with Pig Iron Theatre Company and is inspired by Blood Moon, the Fabric Workshop and Museum's exhibition featuring a recent collaboration with artists Mary Reed Kelly and Patrick Kelly. In 2019, the Fabric Workshop and Museum invited Mary and Pat to be artists in residence. This means that we ask them to work in collaboration with our studio staff to create new work. At the start of every residency, there is always the question of where to begin. For Mary and Pat, one of these starting points was John Steinbeck's 1937 novella of Mice and Men. The artist wondered why Curly's wife, the only female character in the story, was never given a name of her own. In one of their new films, Blood Moon, they reimagine the character of Curly's wife as an artist. They name her Betty. We began to wonder about other such characters from theater, film, art, and literature. What were their dreams? What might they have said? And what would they have called themselves? The workshop in Pig Iron posed this question to the artist presented in Halftone. The following three episodes are the responses they sent back. In what will be our fourth and final episode of the season, You'll learn about the sources that inspired Blood Moon in these audio works. Today, you're listening to Episode 1 by Francesca Montanelli-Lyons, who is a multidisciplinary artist whose work seeks to disempower shame through radical honesty and voyeuristic delight. This piece takes its inspiration from Francesca's play, Dear Diary, LOL, made with the words of real-life diaries of teenage girls in the late 90s and early 2000s. In this current iteration, Francesca puts into dialogue alternating voices of Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita character Humbert Humbert with excerpts from her own teenage diary. Lolita, published in 1955, written by Vladimir Nabokov. Excerpts from part one, The Diary of Humbert Humbert, age 37. Excerpts from my diary, eighth grade school year, 2002 to 2003. Francesca Montanelli's Guy Journal, age 13. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins. My sin, my soul, lo-li-ta. The tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Lo, li, ta. You want to know something? I'm 13 and I've never been kissed. Now I wish to introduce the following idea. Between the age limits of 9 and 14, there occur maidens who, to certain bewitched travelers, twice or many times older than they, reveal their true nature which is not human but nymphic that is demonic and these chosen creatures i propose to designate as nymphets i only know of one kid who has ever liked me and that was in the first grade see a pattern here i'm a loser at least when it comes to guys my friend thinks guys don't like me because i'm too thin i guess it's true i think it's because my chest isn't what you'd call developed i've got barely anything 
Guys are so damn shallow. Good night for tonight. The bud stage of breast development appears early, 10.7 years, in the sequence of somatic changes accompanying pubescence. And the next maturational item available is the first appearance of pigmented pubic hair, 11.2 years. My little cup brims with tittles. Dear diary, I shaved my legs for the first time today. Silky smooth, <laughs> Since I'm still sick, I was sleepy in math and so was Lexi. Emma said, I think you two are on your period or something. It was funny. It started a whole discussion of why guys always say that. Little does Emma know that I haven't had my period yet. What drives me insane is the twofold nature of this nymphette, of every nymphette perhaps. This mixture in my Lolita of tender, dreamy childishness and a kind of eerie vulgarity stemming from the snub-nosed cuteness of ads and magazine pictures, from the blurry pinkness of adolescent maidservants in the old country, smelling of crushed daisies and sweat, and from very young harlots disguised as children in provincial brothels. And then again, all this gets mixed up with the exquisite stainless tenderness seeping through the musk and the mud, through the dirt and the death. Oh, God. Oh, God. And what is most singular is that she, this Lolita, my Lolita, has individualized the writer's ancient lust so that above and over everything there is Lolita. I was a devil for Halloween, and I looked sexy. <laughs> JK. Anyway, on our way to the car, these guys yelled, I, Mommy, at me. It was cool. I used my pitchfork as a strip pole. Why does the way she walks, a child, mind you, a mere child, excite me so abominably? Analyze it. A faint suggestion of turned-in toes, a kind of wiggly looseness below the knee prolonged to the end of each footfall, the ghost of a drag. Very infantile, infinitely meretricious. Humbert Humbert is also infinitely moved by the little one's slangy speech, by her harsh, high voice. The other day, I was looking through my notes, and I found these two funny poems. One, a peach is a peach, a plum is a plum, a kiss isn't a kiss without some tongue. So open your mouth and close your eyes and give your tongue some exercise. Two, a kiss blown is a kiss wasted. The only kiss is a kiss tasted. Kisses have germs, and germs are hated. So kiss me, baby, I'm vaccinated. Ha ha, lol. That is very funny. Of course, I wouldn't know if all that is true, because I've never kissed French yet. I wonder what it would be like. I mean, having somebody else's tongue in your mouth sounds pretty gross if you ask me. I'd probably freak out feeling someone else's tongue in my mouth. I'd bite down or something. Tuesday. Rain. Mama out shopping. Lolita I knew was somewhere quite near. In result of some stealthy maneuvering, I came across her in her mother's bedroom, prying her left eye open to get rid of a speck of something. Checked frock. Although I do love that intoxicating brown fragrance of hers, I really think she should wash her hair once in a while. For a moment, we were both in the same warm, green bath of the mirror that reflected the top of a poplar with us in the sky. Held her roughly by the shoulders, then tenderly by the temples, and turned her about. It's right there, she said. I can feel it. Swiss peasant would use the tip of her tongue, I said. Lick it out, she asked. Yes, shall I try? I asked. Sure, she said. 
Gently, I pressed my quivering sting along her rolling, salty eyeball. Goody, goody, she said, nictating. It is gone. Now the other, I asked. You dope, she began. There's nothing. But here she noticed the pucker of my approaching lips. Okay, she said cooperatively, and bending toward her warm, upturned, russet face, somber Humbert pressed his mouth to her fluttering eyelid. She laughed and brushed past me out of the room. Yesterday, after we went to the movies, I slept over at Lexi's with Sana. Brian and Michael went over too. It was hilarious. We were doing dog piles on each other. My ass got spanked a few times. (laughs) It's still sore. LOL, JK. (laughs) It felt weird though, because Sana had Michael and Lexi had Brian and I had, well, no one. I hate those moments where you feel like you just don't belong. It sucks. Sometimes I think even if I had a boyfriend, I wouldn't be ready and that there's plenty of time for that stuff. But other times, like last night, I feel like I need to be needed so bad that I could just die right then and there. It was okay, though, because Michael started harassing me, as in stroking me in a weird way on the knee and shoulder. I know it was just kidding, but it was cool anyway. It didn't work, though, since he's Sana's boyfriend. Saturday. For some days already, I had been leaving the door ajar while I wrote in my room. But only today did the trap work, with a good deal of additional fidgeting, shuffling, scraping, to disguise her embarrassment at visiting me without having been called. Lo came in, and after pottering around, became interested in the nightmare curly cues I had penned on a sheet of paper. As she bent her brown curls over the desk at which I was sitting, Humbert the horse put his arm around her in a miserable imitation of blood relationship, and still studying, somewhat short-sightedly, the piece of paper she held, my innocent little visitor slowly sank to a half-sitting position upon my knee. Her adorable profile, parted lips, warm hair, were some three inches from my bared eye tooth, and I felt the heat of her limbs through her rough tomboy clothes. All at once, I knew I could kiss her throat or the wick of her mouth with perfect impunity. Lexi told me she kissed Brian last night. French. She says he was a good kisser, but that she sucked at it. I was all, that's so great. I'm really happy for you because that's what BFFs do, you know? But I was a little jealous. And Sana finally Frenched Michael. She said that later that night, he asked if she'd ever Frenched before. And she said, yes, but a long time ago. And he said, I could tell because when I went to put my tongue in your mouth, you kind of bit down. I was like, you poor thing. How embarrassing. At least it was on Yahoo chat and not face-to-face. I don't blame her for biting, though. I wouldn't know what to do either. Anyway, I'm so lonely, but at the same time, I don't know if I'm ready for a boyfriend. I knew she would let me do so, and even close her eyes as Hollywood teaches. I cannot tell him how the knowledge came to me. Perhaps my ape ear had unconsciously caught some slight change in the rhythm of her respiration. For now, she was not really looking at my scribble, but waiting, with curiosity and composure, oh my limpid nymphet, for the glamorous lodger to do what he was dying to do. A modern child, an avid reader of movie magazines, an expert in dream-slow close-ups, might not think it too strange, I guessed, if a handsome, intensely virile grown-up friend, too late, 
The house was suddenly vibrating with voluble Louise's voice telling Mrs. Hayes, who had just come home, about a dead something she and Leslie Thompson had found in the basement. And little Lolita was not one to miss such a tale. If a guy did this for me, I'd melt. Send me a tape with the songs that reminded me of him. For example, You Are Not Alone, Girlfriend, The Girl Is Mine, and any other love songs. He attaches a note that says, All these songs remind me of you. Will you be mine? Or something. I'd go nuts. I'd most likely send a tape with songs that remind me of him and a note saying, All these songs remind me of you. And yes, I'll be yours. Or something. It'd be hilarious if he sent me a hallelujah one. Hee <laughs> hee. Anyway, got to go to sleep. Adios. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. JC says I look like Julia Roberts. Is this good or bad? I have no idea. In art, Ricardo asked JC if me or Lexi was prettier, but I didn't hear the answer. Ricardo says to me, JC thinks you're pretty. I said, thank you. He said, I did too. I said, thank you. Yay! Within the same age limits, the number of true nymphettes is strikingly inferior to that of provisionally plain, or just nice, or cute, or even sweet and attractive, ordinary, plumpish, formless, cold-skinned, essentially human little girls with tummies and pigtails who may or may not turn into adults of great beauty. A normal man, given a group photograph of schoolgirls or Girl Scouts and asked to point out the comeliest one, will not necessarily choose the nymphette among them. You have to be an artist and a madman, a creature of infinite melancholy with a bubble of hot poison in your loins and a super voluptuous flame permanently aglow in your subtle spine. Oh, how you have to cringe and hide in order to discern at once by ineffable signs the slightly feline outline of a cheekbone, the slenderness of a downy limb, and other indices which despair and shame and tears of tenderness forbid me to tabulate. The little deadly demon among the wholesome children. She stands unrecognized by them and unconscious herself of her fantastic power. Hi, this is, this is me, Francesca, <laughs> the uh, artist. I'm talking to you straight because I am lost in this project. I made it, maybe started it as a revenge project um, against all the men who's ever, who have ever told me that Lolita was their favorite book. I read it, I read it maybe when I was just out of college, 21, and it turned my stomach. It bothered me um, that we never get to hear from Lolita in the book. And I just happened to have this text, this diary from when I was that age, and I was curious about what would happen if I, if I just put those texts, those words, side by side. And I know I'm not here to debate whether Nabokov, you know, whether this book is good or bad. Like, that's not the point. And I understand about the unreliable narrator and the artistry of the book and all that. But for it to be your favorite book to read these descriptions of Lolita's body and of the violence that Humbert Humbert inflicts on her. 
when I was maybe 14 or 15. I was in this musical. Um, I would go to like dance classes and the musical was cast with performers of all ages. Um, and so there was this guy who was like 23, maybe 24. There were always jokes about how he was attracted to me. And then I also remember we went to see a show together and I wore a dress and all our friends were like, oh, this is going to torture him. This is going to torture that guy to see you like this. And it was really confusing because I deeply wanted male attention <laughs> and to, to know that I was good or acceptable or beautiful or valuable, all those things. And, and I remember he, we were almost done with the show and he like took me aside I think to a stairwell and he told me he loved me and that's when I felt scared and I think I just avoided eye contact and kind of waited for the moment to be over and because it became too real and I didn't know what I would do and I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't I I look back and I I feel very lucky that that nothing happened, that that was as far as it got. I think if he had tried to kiss me, that I wouldn't have known how to say no. You know, that was never, I didn't have that skill. And also, I was so curious about sex at that time. You know, I wonder if I would have let it happen just to know what it was like. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul, Lolita, the tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth, Lolita. Ugh, it feels gross to even read that. Um, <laughs> And that intro is like the thing that, you know, everyone loses their mind about. Like the language is so good in this book and, oh, it's written so beautifully. Is it though? Like, gross. You've been listening to Halftone, a podcast from the Fabric Workshop and Museum, presented in partnership with Pig Iron Theatre Company. Halftone is presented in connection with Blood Moon, an exhibition by artists Mary Reed Kelly and Patrick Kelly, the Fabric Workshop and Museum, which is supported by the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage. Halftone is produced by Katy Parry, Aaron Sweeney, and Alec Unkovic, engineered by Joel Metzler at Milk Boy The Studio. Our music was contributed by Shara McCutcheon. Special thanks to our collaborators at Pig Iron Theatre Company, 
including Quinn Boriadel, Francesca Montanelli Lyons, Jeannie Lyons, and Tony Moten. Find more information at fabricworkshopandmuseum.org slash halftone. We hope you'll join us next time.